This is Dream Talk Radio. I'm Anne Hill, your host, and today I'm talking with Dr. Gail Delaney, who is a pioneer of dream psychology. Dr. Delaney developed a transparent method of dream interpretation and has specialized for years in the study of dreams and problem solving in relationships, career, and self-image. Dr. Delaney is co-director with Loma Flowers, MD, of the Delaney and Flowers Dream Center. Gail, thank you so much for talking with me today. Well, thank you, Anne. I am thrilled. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. I mean, you are one of the pioneers. You are one of the founders of the Association for the Study of Dreams. You are sort of an icon with the books. And so uh, one of the first things I wanted to ask you is about those early days. How did that all start? I mean, the the beginning of the grassroots dream work movement is such a pivotal point, I think, in our culture. Mm, it was in many ways. Yeah. What happened in my experience was uh, I was studying hard to become a Russian diplomat. I was in Russian studies, and I went off to Paris after my sophomore year of college while the Ivies co-educated, because I started co-ed week at Yale, and I wanted to go to Yale. Uh-huh. Uh, but I didn't get into Yale. So I thought, well, I'll take a year off, go to Europe, and then try again, come as a junior. And so I went to a Russian, uh, a graduate school in France, Ecole des Sciences Politiques. I learned French, and I'm studying Russian and all of this, and I'm going to be hot. And then I came back to Princeton, as it turned out, because Yale wasn't taking transfers. And I loved Princeton. My father and uncle had gone there, and so I was thrilled. There I was in the Russian Studies sub-department of a department called the Wilson School. Mm-hmm. And... All the fancy dances. It was the best place you could right. be as an undergraduate for this career. And one day it dawned on me there were no women. There hmm. were no women in my class. Of course, there were hardly any women. There were 60 right. of us in our class of 800 yeah. guys, but we were just starting. But there were no women in my classes. Hmm. And when people came down from New York or up from D.C. to talk to us, they were all men. Hmm. And I suddenly dawned on me that the foreign service, various kinds of foreign service, diplomatic corps, were boys' clubs mm-hmm. par excellence. And if I stayed in that cure, I'd be angry my whole life. Hmm. Um, one guy came up to me at this institute and shook my hand, an old alum, and he said, well, Gail, first thing I should tell you, the worst thing Prince never did was go co-ed. <gasps> but other than that, how are you enjoying your time here? <laughs> and he meant to be basically nice. And so I thought, you know, I'm not going to take this well over time. And while I had been in France, I'd had these incredible dreams. Hmm. And I luckily fell upon some journalists, Mm -hmm. uh, French journalists, Mm -hmm. who wrote a book. Mm. And it was not full of superstitious gobbledygook, which I thought Freud and Jung were, largely. Though I was just, you know, the first look. And here I was, these people, dreams are problem solvers. Mm. This is 1969-70. So here I am back at Princeton, end of my junior year, and think, I could do work in psychology of dreams. Mm. What... Dreams needs is a non-old white Germanic male <laughs> who doesn't have rigid ideas about what male and female is uh-huh. and who has a more democratic, grassroots, um, Jeffersonian attitude mm-hmm. toward the whole mm-hmm. field. And so I put on a, a class. Students could initiate classes at Princeton at those years. You know, this was a very liberal sure. time. And one of the students, after a while, I had... I think by that, that was senior year, by that time I had read all the collected works of Jung because mm-hmm. I was doing a department switch. I had to do a lot of makeup right. and Prince sure. makes you like sure. write a lot. 
So this guy said, yeah, would you interpret my dream? I said, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I've read Jung. I know that I'll be 88 before I'm wise enough to interpret a dream. And I have to know anthropology and psychology and alchemy. And I must build a stone castle by the lakeside. <laughs> and do a bunch of mandalas and, and get very wise and go through my apprenticeship uh, and indoctrination in the Jung Institute sure. before I would know what I'm doing. Well, he insisted. So I looked at him, and, and really from the point of, I don't know anything, mm -hmm. I said to him, okay, pretend I come from another planet. Mm -hmm. Who is this guy Richard Nixon you're dreaming about? <laughs> pretend I've never heard of him before. And he said to me, blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, and I said, well, so Richard Nixon is these five adjectives. I mean, this came to me immediately. Right. And I said, is there anything in your life or anyone in your life? Because I, too often the interpreter decides whether it's a right. subjective or an objective interpretation. Mm -hmm. And that gets ridiculous sure. in a lot of cases. So I let, let him choose. Mm -hmm. And there were quite a few details in his description. Yeah. And he said, oh my God, my father. Now, I had, didn't even have the right. thought. I wasn't looking right. there. And the dream was all about his issues with his tricky dick dad. Wow. And I thought, oh. Dreams aren't that complicated. And in fact, they're clearer if you keep all this philosophy mm -hmm. and preordained belief truths mm -hmm. out of them. Mm -hmm. So over the years, I went into dreams and just decided, I'm going to say the emperors have no clothes. Mm -hmm. I'll make lots of enemies because people want a nice, wonderful father. Right. That if I'm only good enough and pay my dues, my father will approve of me. That's very sick. It's mm -hmm. very unhealthy. And calling a spade a spade, I want mm -hmm. people to do their own dreams. If, after someone has understood his dream, from his own resources, whatever images you believe about that medicine animal, mm -hmm. you don't look it up and see what the medicine animal is. <laughs> you ask yourself, what is a snake? What are snakes like from what you knew at the moment you went to sleep? Right. And then see what the snake relates to in your life. Mm -hmm. If, after all that, you really understand your dream, mm -hmm. the dream's saying something to you about your life, about your relationships, about yourself, about your career, some problem. Get that first. And then if you want to enlarge it through mythology, mm -hmm. through various other belief mm -hmm. systems, go ahead, but don't give away your dream. Well, Hillman got to that, didn't he, with that beautiful book, Dream Animals? A snake is a snake. Relate to the snake. Don't go looking through the Bhagavad Gita, what they say about snakes. And <laughs> Hillman a, was a wonderful guy. Had some bad sexual practices. Yes, well. As many Jungians, <laughs> and I do not forgive them. I do not excuse yeah. them. Yeah. If anybody listening is having sex with your Jungian or other analyst, mm -hmm. change therapist is never, ever good for you. And if you are a therapist listening to this, having sex with your patient, see a therapist. Mm. You almost always vulture upon people who are sexually abused in their childhood and have weak boundaries. It's yeah. a real rape of your client. And that was going on in the year, I went to Zurich after college for uh -huh. a year, and the place was rife with yeah. sexual abuse, patient abuse. But Hillman was so exciting and fun. He was one of the few free thinkers, he and um, Arnie Mindell. Oh yeah. And I had two analysts at once. And one was Arnie Mindell, and one was Mario Jacobi, a mm -hmm. musician who should have stayed a musician <laughs> and really didn't understand psychotherapy. Arnie Mindell was a highly creative former mathematician and super bright, and I had a wonderful time. But comparing two analysts within the same week, mm. every week, really taught me. 
I'm the one my therapy depends upon. It's not the wisdom I'm going to get from one guy or the other. Yes. One has a picture of me that looks like this. The other one, a completely different picture. And I thought Mendel was much more helpful, right. but it still was very useful to see how one saw me as an introvert, yes. was an extrovert. I mean, really. <laughs> and, and so I saw that I was a center and I was responsible to my own growth. Uh-huh. And one of the famous therapists in Zurich said, oh, you're thinking of seeing Arnie Mendel. Well, he's crazy, but he's a good crazy. They didn't know what to make of him. And they didn't know what to make of me because I was yeah. a female who didn't fit the female right. mold. You weren't a Maria Luisa von France. Uh, I wasn't looking for a great yes, father. Right. And uh, so he, um, uh, Hillman, I went to one of his lectures here after that, yeah. and I was married to a psychiatrist and that mm. whole gang, and I sat to, next to a Jungian and I said, oh, that iconoclast, as if that were a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. And Mindell was not Mindell, uh, Hillman was just wonderful. He was quoting chapter and verse yeah. of Jung yeah. to say why you shouldn't believe a lot of this nonsense that I've published. It mm-hmm. was just a scream. Yeah. And, and so I found the Jungians exciting who questioned Jung. Mm-hmm. And uh, Arnie Mindell is still doing wonderful sure. work with the dream body. Yes. And I was very yeah. lucky to come across him. Uh, but I also left the Jungian fold sure. uh, feeling it was more of a a religious cult and a psychological system. Mm-hmm. And now they're getting better training, and there are some here who have real good psychiatric training through Stanford, for instance, sure. and then become Jungians. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Do it after the fact. Let it mm-hmm. enlarge, just like when mm-hmm. you work with your dream. Find out what you say to yourself about your dream before you go to what other people want to make your dream into. It may be useful. Yeah. It may not be. It's often very distracting. One thing that I really, I, I got from you that I, I really like, I can't remember, I mean, it might have been in Memories, Dreams, Reflections. At some point he says that as, at the beginning of when somebody is telling him a dream, he has this thought, I know nothing about what this dream means. And I found that extremely helpful. I mean, he's talking about his process of getting out of his own head and, and all of his encyclopedic knowledge and just relating to the dream as an unknown being. I, that's been incredibly helpful to me. I, I read that too. I'll bet you the year I was in France, I read mm. it in French, mm-hmm. and and I liked Jung from his biography. Yeah. yeah. Then I read the collected works. He does not follow his own advice. No. Well, yeah. He force feeds interpretations. He tells patients to go home and read his books so that they understand where they're going, and that this is what these things mean. And then if you look at his seminars, he did some seminars. He yeah. had someone uh, dream about some dream about a turtle, never once talked to the patient, at least never told us about that. Mm. And he presents the dream to his students, and he said, and so what does a turtle represent? And then one student says this, he says, no. And then the next patient says this, and he says, no. And then the next, pa- next uh, student said this, but they're all patient students sure. probably. And then finally someone says, ah, it's amphibious, it's land and water. And Jung says, yes, it's a representative of the transcendent function. Well, this poor dreamer was left in the dust. You know, we never hear if the dreamer got anything out of this dream. Right, right. And uh, in my book, um, New Directions and Dream mm-hmm. Interpretation, I think that's where it is. I found turtle examples from Freud, from Jung, Boss, and comparing how each one knew. Boss said, oh, turtles, they're cold-blooded creatures. Right. Well, Maybe, maybe not. That may not be what somebody's thinking about. Mm-hmm. So I gave an example of one of my dreamers when I said, what are turtles like? Pretend I come from another planet. She said, oh, they're hard on the outside, 
really soft on the inside. <laughs> and the one in my dream is on its back and it's being cut up for sushi. And she burst into tears, so that's like my father. He's so hard, mm. but he's really tender on the inside. Now, would we have gotten there if I pronounced to her, the turtles are cold-blooded yeah, creatures? That's right. That's right. And then uh, another client, um, a surgeon, said, yeah, I had this dream about a turtle. He's from somewhere where you get these <laughs> right, accents. Sure. And uh, he said, well, Gail, what are turtles? Turtles are friendly little critters. You know, they just move real slow, and they carry their house with them. Life is simple. Very different, hit on. Very different. And he's a guy who's always stressed, yeah. and his dream was about taking on a little bit more of a slow turtle, simple life, mm -hmm. have this critter that's got his house on his back. Life is simple. He wasn't hiding. And, and so I just find the dream work is so much richer yeah. if you leave everyone's pronouncements totally out and if you as a therapist are helping someone with a dream and you you know what a turtle is mm -hmm. just remember that's your turtle mm -hmm. may not have anything to do and the dreamers are much more interesting if you let them come up with their own words rather than help them it's right. very tempting especially when you have an hour to see somebody you want someone to get their money's worth and they're not coming up with good juice so I present questions to enact the structure mm -hmm. of dream a dream interview and these questions will almost always get the dreamer talking in terms that give you simple adjectives that right. you can feed back and the dreamer then can relate it. Uh, in the dream interview, what I realize I did and want to do is take the visual imagery and translate it into words. Mm -hmm. Now, there was a time in the 70s people said, oh, you're limiting the dream, putting it into limiting words. Well, that's true if you're a painter, but the rest of us, process even painters, we process our awareness of who we are through words. We all talk to ourselves in words. Then we have feelings. Gestalt dream work was frustrating to me because it would elicit feelings, tears, cries, but they leave, as my partner Loma always said, they leave the, bond, the fires burning and didn't coordinate them and you wouldn't know what to do with it and you leave the therapy session and tears because indeed something was very touching but what do you do with it you know it's so i'm sorry to interrupt it's so interesting because all of these strands the jungian strand there's freudian there's the gestalt all of these strands sort of coalesced and they formed the basis of what i call the the grassroots dream work movement that started you know back in the 70s and mm -hmm. to me it's fascinating because there was a it was basically all the iconoclasts from everywhere as far as i can tell the people that didn't quite fit into the received wisdom of freud or jung they said these are dreams are the collective the the commons they're the commons and so we can we can work on them ourselves and I guess one of the things that I'm so interested in, and it sounds like you, your version of dream work, the whole dream interview, is something that came to you pretty early on. Yeah. Have you found that you're, oh, I'm, I should interrupt and say, I'm. this is Dream Talk Radio, and I'm talking with Dr. Gail Delaney today, one of the pioneers of dream psychology. Um, and so it's really a privilege to talk to you because you were there at the beginning of the formation of this whole idea that, you know, the ASD really is, is the foremost body that has actually set out a code of ethics as far as, as people, therapists. And uh, that's revolutionary it ethics. It is completely. And so my question to you, the I core, guess, is... Wait, let me just say yeah, sure. for the listeners, the core of that being, the dreamer owns his or her own dream. That's no right. one else is going to make an interpretation for you. They might in various yeah. ways. 
uh, project on your dream, but tell you it's a projection, or they might give you hypotheses. That's right. not what I do, but that's another way to skin sure. that cat. What an awful image. That's another, <laughs> that's another way to... to uh, shell uh, the turtle. <laughs> Another way to shell the pistachio nut. <laughs> there you go. That's that. Uh, and yet you always remember, if you're included with ASD, is you don't force your interpretation on anybody right. else. And just telling right. the public that. Yeah. It is your dream. You could find ways to understand it, but you have the keys. I think, I say people have the key words, mm. because it's when you start describing the cat in your words not the words of five other people who had different hits on cats, mm -hmm. that you suddenly realize you're talking about your sister, or you're talking about yourself, or you're talking about your whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and ASD, I think, is very revolutionary in that, in laying it down so that eventually the other school therapists will have to believe it. Right. So uh, have you found that the, the general... The general take on dreams that people, have you found that that's shifting somewhat from its early roots in basically Jungian thought? I mean, I think a oh, lot of Jung, you know. Jung opened the door for me, certainly, sure. um, because he said, as opposed to Freud, mm -hmm. uh, he said, dreams help you grow. They help you understand more of yourself. Mm -hmm. So it was a very positive growth-oriented right. message. Then the Jungians got very caught in their own mythology and their hero worship. Mm -hmm. There's really nothing less than that at each, at each institute. And their sexual abuse at this, everyone at every institute was covering up for, for mm -hmm. the other people. So it's an unhealthy set. And they got stuck somewhere in the 80s. They just didn't develop. Uh, and their people would say otherwise, but that's mm -hmm. my opinion. Whereas the Freudians started moving way ahead, problem-solving, mm. different theorists. They became mm. much more liberal right. than the Jungians. Right. Uh, and then by the 90s, I think we would say that both the Jungians and the Freudians are a very small picture mm -hmm. of the dream action. That was one of my major, major interests in mm -hmm. getting ASD going. It was to embarrass people to read something outside of their school, ah. then realizing that if you've already gone through the Institute, you're just about never have an open mind. Very few people do. And a professor here at Berkeley, where I give a talk uh, on her, at her class, mm -hmm. in her class, she says, Gail, the minds are closed by their second year in college. They've already decided what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. That's pretty scary. Uh, but ASD is there, and other people doing lots of writing, mm -hmm. to say, you know, there are lots of ways to do this. Right. And an institute isn't necessarily what you want. They're not the only game in town anymore. Mm -hmm. In fact, they're a small part of of the game of people interested in dreaming and that's thrilling because my you know life goal has been to take dreams out of the waste bin the intellectual waste bin of our mm. culture and say dreams are your own mind working maybe other things too but I can't talk about mm -hmm. that because I don't know right. but it is your mind working every night to help you understand your life and live more efficiently mm -hmm. and you don't have to resort to voodoo to figure it out because people are wasting. We're, right. So many of us are just wasting this work we do every night. Well, and I wanted to talk to you also about problem solving. You do a lot with problem solving. How do you approach dreams from a, that pragmatic, practical standpoint? It's not all about uh, your issues with your mother or sibling or anything. It's actually about what to do with this current problem. I started incubating because I read an Edgar Casey book oh, through a yeah. funny fluke. And he said, ask God for a dream mm -hmm. on an issue and it'll become clear. 
Well, I wasn't sure I really believed in God, but I, maybe I'll ask yeah. him anyway. And what I did was incubate a dream. All right. And I said, I want to dream on why I'm so neurotic about the idea of getting married. Mm-hmm. I was 21 and just mentioning it made my knees right. wobble. And I had a very interesting dream. And then I had to incubate another dream. I said, look, my analyst in New York, the Jungian analyst, we're not doing real well with this dream. Could I have another one? And please, again, <laughs> don't forget to throw in a wedding dress. So I know this is what about because my analysts <laughs> I aren't very good at this. And, this is and make it Vera Wang. No, 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 make it. Uh, this is 71. She <laughs> okay, wasn't born she was yet. Too. <laughs> and so I had another wedding dream right. with a wedding. Thing. And it was very clearly about my issues with my parents' disastrous sure. marriage. And I was terrified. It was pretty right. obvious to right. any adult, but not my young analyst. No, I know um, she was into the animus and the anima oh and all the stuff that she, she inevitably interpreted my dreams to Jungian theology rather than to my life. Right. Ah, what a waste. Yeah. But maybe I had to go through that to realize it was a waste. But I recognized two years after that when I had the third dream on the issue where I had sort of broken through the terror. Yeah. And then I understand, stood it retrospectively when I interviewed myself. Uh-huh. And... Uh, so I started on what I thought was a practical issue, but it was really an emotional issue tied up with my right. family. However, I'm an ice skater, and I, were, I like mathematicians, even though I'm, a ter- I'm terrible. <laughs> uh, and I talked to them about, you can use dreams to problem solve. And sports people go to sleep. I have this trouble with my ice skating spin. And in mm-hmm. my gale, I had this dream. I asked for help on my spin, and I mm-hmm. probably the teachers told me this before, but in my dream, I had the experience of doing it right Lift yes. up my right hip when I pull my leg across right. for a tight spin, mm-hmm. and it's working. Mm-hmm. So um, Arnold Palmer got a new way mm-hmm. of holding his golf That's club, right? right? Yeah. So it happens in little mm-hmm. mundane things, but it's not so mundane to the individual. Right. Uh, I've talked to engineers, and I've worked with engineers, because mm-hmm. they don't have the same prejudice about dreams that many mm-hmm. people do, because if it's going to work to solve a problem, they're practical. That's true. They are, but they'll take it from anywhere, anywhere that they can give, get the insight. I would say most of my clients are nurses, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and mathematicians, and mm-hmm. uh, computer engineers. I was going to say software. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of software people. And some of the guys come uh, to a dream session with about a three-by-five-inch notepad lined pull it out of their chest pocket, <laughs> and pencil. And these are the notes they've written their dreams down on. And then they tell me. And I say, oh, yeah. no, no, I've got to be able to read this. And, and it's just, it's fun because they don't have a theoretical right. prejudice. Mm-hmm. They're just going mm-hmm. at their own dream. So I'm interested in people's problem solvings around issues of your everyday life. Mm-hmm. How come I keep having these recurring fights with my son? Right. I worked with, I I very little work has been done with children's dreams, mm-hmm. as you know. Yes. And it's usually done with kids who are very troubled because parents don't take their right. child to a therapist until deep trouble mm-hmm. has set in. Mm-hmm. And so where are you going to get... So I right. called up friends for about 10 years, and I said, if you have a child between the ages of 5 and 13, whoever has a dream, I will make a house call. Mm-hmm. If I can work it out, and I will mm-hmm. come to your house and ask your child mm-hmm. about dreams. Mm-hmm. And so... I got an unusually high percentage of people who had children having trouble with their math. They hated their math teacher, oh, which, of course, well, meant they sure. couldn't do the work, right. right? And so I'd tell them my terrible math story, how I shot myself in the foot. And I'd say, you know, incubate a dream. Ask yourself, 
what you can do about this, mm -hmm. or if it really matters if you mm -hmm. understand any math. Yeah. And kids are willing to do it. And then when I interview them about the images from an incubated dream, I say, so you're dreaming about a horse. What are horses like? And they know there's no right or wrong answer, mm -hmm. so they're willing to tell me, even from a fairly young age. And I've had grades go from failing to A, from D to B, because the kids get it. Their own psyche tells them, you are shooting yourself in the foot. Don't right. do it. Right. It's not the teacher's fault, or it is a bad teacher, mm -hmm. so this is what you do to get around mm -hmm. it. And, and I love that. But that was a high level of work. You imagine trekking sure. off to a child who's got yeah. a dream this morning, right. and I don't like to get up early in the morning. But it taught me a lot about how kids work. And kids mm -hmm. going through divorce, oh, yeah. uh, what they do and how they'll, they'll have dreams of how the children themselves play their two parents off against each other and how that's not very honorable. Yes. So they know what they're doing. And now my, my latest passion is romance. Mm -hmm. And so I, well, because I've had so many patients through 35 years, these good men from Silicon Valley, yeah who wear gum shoes and corduroy pants, and they have beards hanging out, or their hair is a mess, and they, oh my gosh. <laughs> and yet, their souls are pure. Yeah. They want a love. Right. They make a good living. They're smart. <laughs> They're kind. They want to go travel and do fun things, but the women won't look twice at them, and they haven't the foggiest notion how to court a woman. So I said to one, <laughs> I did this for free for a while, as you can yeah. imagine. I said, look, I am your full-service dream analyst. You need a new wardrobe. Step it up, buddy. What are you doing this weekend? And so I took them shopping. I started oh. from baseline. I'd go to their house and say, make the house female-friendly. There's no place in your house where a woman should have to put her feet that's a cold surface. Ooh. And do you have a drawer empty? Do you, I mean, things they didn't... You this have, is dream um, analyst and personal shopper. I that is yes. a great... Well, in fact, I don't do the personal shopping now, except for a dear <laughs> friend, right? But I have personal shoppers who will do it. Oh, well, great. But what yeah. I saw in these guys, wonderful souls, yeah. and a number of women too, who didn't know how to court. They didn't yeah. know how to date. Because it, there's a knack to it, especially if you're mm -hmm. insecure, mm -hmm. or you're shy, or you're... Shy, let's use sure. that word shy. And I had one woman say, well, Gail, I had a dream that I was wearing a red dress and I looked in the mirror and I looked good. Well, given who I am, as flamboyant as I am, I thought, what's this dream about? Why would you be here? And <laughs> since I don't have to show my ignorance, I just say, so pretend to come from another planet. What are red dresses like? Yeah. And to me, they're you know, 50% of my wardrobe. <laughs> and she said, oh, red dresses, they're just very show-offy, and Vamp I would never and, wear mm -hmm. one. I thought, a human female in our day and age would never wear a red dress, but I didn't say that because it's her dream, right? And she said, but I looked in the mirror, and I looked wonderful. And I said, well, why wouldn't you? You know, I come from another planet. Mm -hmm. In this case, I really right, did. Right. And she said, well, I didn't look like a show-off. I didn't look like a cheap harlot. I looked really pretty, and you'd notice me. And her dreams were doing this for her. Yeah. No I could never have taken her right. shopping and put her in clothing right. I'd have liked. Right, right. So I'm very interested in seeing how people do problem solving of the mm -hmm. online dating issues, mm -hmm. of which there are many. Sure. How to write your profile, how to answer or not answer emails, what to require of a guy, what mm -hmm. do you offer, not offer mm -hmm. a guy, and then the early dating process and the meeting. And your dreams give you choices all the time. Mm -hmm. They are so obvious. Have you seen dreams like this? Oh, God, all the time. Yeah. It's wonderful where, you know, you might have to choose between three people. There are three musicians. And if you describe the personalities of each musician or the music, whatever yep. comes to you. Yep. Well, 
oh, these are just like the three guys I'm dating. Which one do you want? But mm -hmm. it's a clarification on the core mm -hmm. person. That's right. And it's so interesting to me, especially, okay, we'll talk about men for a while, or, you know, men and women romance, as you, as you term it. Um, I've been in a dream group for almost 19 years. Wow. We meet almost every week. And seeing people's images of men in dreams, this is all women, seven women, and how that evolves has been a huge learning experience for me. Exactly, how each dreamer learns from the other dreamer's yes. mistakes, stupid moves, yeah. and then getting it. And moving through from these really hideous male figures to these actually kind of enjoyable ones, you know, and it... You know, the, the main thing that has stood out for me in, in all of this experience is how slowly our psyches change, but irreversibly. It's almost like the slower the change, the more we get to do it at our own pace, as you're saying, the more long-lasting that is. Let me put one slight caveat okay. in that. That's my own experience. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I've been working with dreams professionally since 74, right. 70. It's now 2012. I'll, and that's all I do. I don't do general psychotherapy. Yeah. And my shopping for guys in romance, <laughs> you know, that, that's a little bit on the side of my romance business. But uh, I agree generally that you have the long perspective and you mm -hmm. see how people learn. And slowly, Loma, my, my dream partner, mm -hmm has a wonderful comment. You know how people come back with the dream and say, oh, no, I'm not dealing with this stuff again. I thought I'd taken care of this. Right. You know, it's another mother dream or it's another right. boyfriend dream. Right. And Loma says, you know what? It's not a circle. It's a spiral. Mm -hmm. You're dealing at it at a higher level now. Right. The issue's not all gone, but you're coming at it from a different direction because mm -hmm. you have new material. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very useful yes. and encouraging for people. Right. And one of the most common dynamics in all relationships is... You pick people who are like or dramatically unlike, the opposite of, mm -hmm. a parent. Might be same-sex or separate-sex parent. But if you have unrequited love somewhere with a parent, you, funny thing, you just keep going picking those kinds of people. And I had a three-hour-a-day radio show once yeah. in Seattle. I did it from mm -hmm. here from my, by satellite. And so people were listening three hours a day. After all about, about dreams. All about dreams. Wow. It's long. So a woman called up after about three months. Mm -hmm. And she said, Gail, I would listen to your show every day because I can do that. <laughs> it was afternoon drive, commute time, oh, yeah, four yeah, to seven. Right. And she said, you know, I have heard so many women call up with their dreams. Yeah. And they're picking the wrong guys. Mm -hmm. You know, she got that. And she said, my mother always said, if you want flowers, pick a florist. <laughs> And then I immediately tripped on to another metaphor that takes all of what dreams say. Yeah. Let's say that you grow up with your father and he's a shoemaker. Yeah. And this is relevant to almost every woman listening, so don't think it only happens <laughs> to other people. We all get shocked when it happens to us, including therapists of wonderful mm -hmm. wisdom. Mm -hmm. What? Could this be happening to me? <laughs> all right. So you grew up with a shoemaker and you criticize him and so did your mom because he never brings you flowers. He's practical, but he's so not romantic. And then you grow up, and you get to go through the corridors of life with men lined all over the place, and you walk by all the florists. I ask you why. You say, well, they're dull. That's the word women say again and again when I point out the antidote to the father mm -hmm. character. Ah, dull. And you go through a, into a party of 100 men, and you find the one shoemaker there. <laughs> It's, it's like a Geiger counter. It's yeah. set. Because you wanted to get flowers 
from a shoemaker. You want to get blood from a stone, so you pick stones to get blood from. The guys with blood, they're boring. And so you pick shoemaker after shoemaker, and you're just always deep down critical of this person. And then you finally get it. You know, shoemakers don't give flowers. Mm -hmm. So you walk past all the florists again because they're dull, and you pick the exact opposite of your father, the shoemaker, and you pick a hippie. He goes barefoot. Well, guess what? You go barefoot too. Well, then there's fireworks. It's exciting in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Lots of sex. Like there's a lots of sex in the beginning that you want from the guy who's hard to get. But then, all of a sudden, you really feel disgust for this man you're with because he doesn't protect you with shoes. You took that for granted. Now you don't have any shoes. And you pick the exact opposite of the shoemaker. <laughs> but still the florist. You don't go to the florist because they're dull. Okay, I'm not sure, and I hate to say this, but I have to say it because it's mm-hmm. honest, in all these years of working mm-hmm. with people, that you're ever totally healed from the wound uh-huh. of wanting flowers from a shoemaker, uh-huh. of wanting blood from a stone, of wanting emotions from a man who's incompetent at giving them. Right. That you just, there's something so imprinted, and I don't think it's sexual, though that's where your sexual energy right. follows, mm-hmm. that you're going for those shoemakers. What you have to do, and this is, tough love mm-hmm. on yourself. Say, I will never, ever date a shoemaker or its exact opposite again. Mm-hmm. I will teach myself to get interested in the many other kinds of people. <laughs> there may be artists who may not be florists exactly, but yeah. are close. There are other yeah. kinds in these two you've been bouncing yeah. between. And so you start getting it. You start getting an appreciation for what's going to make you happy rather than what mm-hmm. just, turns you on immediately, that sort of in love immediately thing. If you had an unhappy relationship with a parent, you will probably always carry that wound and that vulnerability. And when I was 60, right, I've had great relationships, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. Men have been good to me, and Mm -hmm. I have a good garga counter for character, Mm -hmm. good character in men. Mm -hmm. That never disappoints. But I just had this incredible love, love at first sight immediately with this guy, when I was 60, 59. And he wasn't very good at talking mm-hmm. and feelings, but a good man, a yeah. kind man. And I had some inklings. There might be some issues. Didn't have a good relationship with his mm-hmm. mom yeah, at all. Right. And, and he didn't talk about feelings. He said, okay, you <sighs> called me honey three times today. And I said, well, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. Well, I don't know. I'll have to see if I can get used to it. Has nobody given you a term of endearment in your life? Well, no. I think Gail listened okay, to this, but so he was such a wonderful guy. I was so romantic. That's a red flag. <laughs> and there were a lot. And I said, well, that's all right. Well, why was I saying that's all right? Well, my father uh-huh. was a very good man, but feelings, mm-hmm. talking, I mean, forget it. However, when I was 20, I got to know him. Yeah. And I had a good 30 years of speaking to him in French, mm-hmm. 40 years. Mm-hmm. And he got to be quite open with his feelings and emotional, not talking generally, right. that wouldn't happen. And it suddenly dawned on me, I don't have 30 years at the age of 60 to work with this guy. Right. And I was captured yeah. by my imprint to my dad yeah. uh, at 60, knowing so, what I know, having seen what I've seen, and, I, and all my dreams were negative. All my dreams were, this man is endangering you. In so your caveat is actually that we actually, some things don't change, that imprint. They do change. Stage. They do okay. change. We change. Yeah. Let's say, let's say we change. Okay. Our imprint and our 
Geiger counter setting. Yeah. I don't know if that's right. Radio sure. tune right, wavelength. Right, right. Still is highly prejudiced. Mm -hmm. Vulnerable to is the way I'd say it. Vulnerable to. Yeah, that's a good. And it's good to keep your eye out mm -hmm. on that and mm -hmm. say, am I willing to pay the price if I take up this sort of right. guy? Right. And I broke up with him pretty mm -hmm. quickly. Sure. It was very painful. Yeah. I mean, what am I doing at my age with all my experience? I've had lots yeah. of experience. And I like men. This was a wonderful man. I still mm -hmm. like him tremendously. Mm -hmm. But I talk. I like feelings. I like intimacy a lot. That wasn't his bag. Yeah. And what was I thinking? Right. What was I thinking? So beware, women, that you may all your life be attracted to this one kind of guy with whom you can never be mm -hmm. happy, whether it's his fault or not. It's sure. your fault for choosing right. it. Right, right. That's great. We're, we're talking with Gail Delaney uh, today, Dr. Gail Delaney, one of the pioneers of dream psychology. And, you know, I have one more question for you, which is, what are you thinking about now in dreams? Where is your new, you're a pioneer. Where's your personal frontier as far as looking at dreams? First, let me see this. I know you're not expecting this. <laughs> this is my doing. Anne has just published a book, What to Do When Dreams Go Bad. And it's a short book of 57 pages, lots of, you know, double-spaced. That's where all reading is going. I, this is exactly the kind of book. People buy a 250-page book, and then they read a chapter or two. I've just become my website maker mm -hmm. and taking control over that. And in doing it, I put a web seminar. It's not really a web seminar. Yeah. It's a seminar page of right. this is the structure of my dream method, and these are the questions to help make those steps mm -hmm. come come mm -hmm. through. And it made me do extremely condensed outlining. You know, it's yeah. not the whole story. Yeah. But I want people to see there is a structure of dreaming. It's not just all these nice stories about dreams. Mm -hmm. You can work with your dreams in a very structured way that helps you get to the juice. And books like yours, mm. people are willing to read and do. And that's my my actual writing future is going to do short dreams like short books right. like yours that get to the point and give a few examples, but don't go on and on and right. on. And then if people really want to know the details of my dream interview process, they can get my out-of-print book for two dollars. It's called <laughs> it's called Breakthrough Dreaming. And that yes. one is really all the details about it. Yes. And I want to now I'm not going to do battle with Freud and Jung anymore. I've uh -huh. just I'm tired of that. I've yeah. done it. I've done the research. I right. I've done. I've said my piece and I've offended people, but I've also <laughs> given women and particularly women an open door. Mm -hmm. Don't go the priest road. Yes. Uh, and what I want to do with my dream work is apply it now. I'm now busy applying it to online dating, romance. Mm -hmm. I have a right. website called chooseromance.com and there I'm saying to people I'll help you write a profile. We'll get pictures taken. And if you'd like to get some orientation to what you're doing, yes. your dreams are very useful. That's I want right. to bring dreams in through the back door. Great. Because people, many people think, oh, dreams, that's silly. What one of my Princeton buddies said, Gail, when we heard you'd moved west, and then you became, they saw me on an Oprah show, mm -hmm. so they couldn't resist. They had to make a comment. <laughs> and they said, we saw you on Oprah, and we thought, hmm, she's become a dream analyst. Oh, she must have gotten to California, gotten near a hot tub, fallen in, and fried her brains. <laughs> and this they would only admit to me after they'd had some positive dream experiences. Sure. But the whole world thinks yes. that way. We're That's a small right. enclave right. of people who love dreams and know how mm -hmm. useful they are. Mm -hmm. So I want to bring them out into the public. And I thought, through applications, if anybody here is working on or knows anybody working with the development of the newest batteries, I want to work with battery development oh. teams. Oh. 
and I need an introduction because I'll think I'm a flake. And I want to say, look, I want to work with your team. I don't have to understand your Mm -hmm. electronics. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is they understand. (laughs) That's chemistry, really. It's really chemistry now. And it's it's programming. It's all this stuff. And I can teach people how to work with dreams and problem solving Mm -hmm. without my understanding the dream Mm -hmm. itself. It's all the way I work is... Pretend I come from another planet, describe right. your images. I feed back those descriptive words and right. say, does that remind you of something in your life? Right. And how well a, a match did you just make? Is that mm-hmm. a good fit? And I can do that with mathematicians and work I know nothing about, and they get it. And I would bet, I would hope, that the work group I work with would work more quickly. Yeah. And battery life is the central problem and bottleneck for so many technologies. Exactly. Really interesting that you would... And I've thought of contacting Tesla, but I don't have a connection to Tesla. Oh, we'll get you a connection to Tesla. Uh, And say, look, I'm willing to do this for very little, you know, pay for my coming down here and work with the team for... And I can do it by Skype with with groups once I've met them and face. Because they're scientists that have to be interesting. And... There's a wonderful book, if any of you want to read it, called The Way of the Scientist by mm-hmm. W.B. Cannon, written mm-hmm. in about 1945. Mm-hmm. And he just, you know, I've used this problem-solving mechanism of dreams forever. I thought everybody did. It's come to my attention that not many people do. <laughs> what a shame. What a shame. Well, that, that's fascinating. It's, I'm, really, I'm looking forward to continuing to follow your work. In the years to come. Well, I, you, and I love your new book. <laughs> Thank it, you. It's just, I'm, Thank I'm you thrilled. So it's got much. a great cover, and it's a scary you. cover. People <laughs> said, oh, no, it's too scary. Dreams are scary, you know. You have to when, rise to the challenge. Exactly. And when uh, media people, movie people say, yeah. do a show on dreams, yeah. a movie, they put the fuzzy image in. Right. And right. that's not what dreams are like. Yeah. They're real. They're real. Yeah. And really scary. They yes. have to be taken that that's way. That's right. And faced. So if people want to get in touch with you, they can go to your... Which website would you suggest well, people? Well, we're talking dreams here. Sure. And it's my website, the one I've made, so if there, mm-hmm. there are some rough spots, but you know, <laughs> give me a moment, uh, is called YourSleepingGenius.com. YourSleepingGenius.com. And you'll see a lot of Great. findings for Your Sleeping Genius, the, my CDs. I didn't okay. realize there'd be confusion. But anyway, it's yoursleepinggenius.com. And there is a lot of great information on that website. I was looking through it. You've got a ton of content there. So people can really become acquainted with your whole perspective on dreams and get some ideas before they actually contact you. What do they call uh, free programming on the web? Free? Open, open, open source. Open source. I wanted to open source my dream method. That's great. Uh, so that anybody who wants to sit down with it can do it yeah. without reading a whole book. However, mm-hmm. you know, it is an outline. So yes. if you question why I do this and why I don't do that, yeah. you have to read the books. But this will give you the structure. Well, Open sourcing, that's what I would call it. Well, Dr. Gail Delaney, thank you so much for your years of open source dream work and uh, being uh, just exploring the inroads and publishing such wonderful, helpful books. And thank you for your work, Anne, and well, your spirit. Okay. That wraps up another Dream Talk Radio podcast. I'm Ann Hill, and you can find my past shows at dreamtalkradio.net and on iTunes. Be sure and join the Dream Talk Radio Facebook page or follow me on Twitter at Ann Hill to get announcements about future shows. Thanks for listening.